Kia ora. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Oh, look, it's sharing these episodes that are my favourites. Uh, are really, it's a really interesting exercise for me because I don't often actually go back and look at my old episodes, but it made me think about what stretched me, what made me go out of my comfort zone, what did I learn? What was my favorite? All these, all these thoughts and emotions and questions that came up for me. This episode this week is from my very first season called A Glitch in the Matrix, A Holographic Reality. Now, in this episode, I did over 30 hours of research. It was an, a tremendous amount, and I remember I did so much research I wanted to make sure, particularly on those scientific areas that I wasn't too uh, knowledgeable about. So this is the end result and I hope you all enjoy it. Since it's released in my first season, it's been consistently one of my top 10 most listened to episodes over the past six seasons that I've completed. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Walking the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. When you look around at your present surroundings and everything around you, you get the instinctive feeling that you're living in a three-dimensional world full of shapes, textures, patterns, objects of all types. You have the feeling that you can interact with these physical objects, like that chair you may be sitting in, that smartphone you might be holding in your hand. This gives you an instant subjective feeling in your body of their depth, size, temperature, texture and weight, all of this combined gives you a sense of the physical space around you and, more importantly, your location within it. But what if this experience of space, location and depth is simply an illusion, a construct in your mind that is only sustained from moment to moment? What if the solidarity and shape of the world around you is, in fact, a very well-orchestrated hallucination produced by your brain? What if we actually lived in a space that is purely informational, a space where matter and energy are not our reality's basic qualities? What if we live in a place, in a reality, where everything is solely a construct of the mind? Many people have had experiences that have simply left them scratching their heads, wondering what just happened to them. Experiences that can't be explained. 
by any methods known to humankind. So many people have had experiences like this that the popular website Reddit has a whole group and subsection devoted to this subject. It is a very interesting and to me fascinating topic and one that I feel is worthy of a little deeper investigation. So the question is, will you? Take the red pill and join me as we see how deep this rabbit hole goes in this part of the Shadowlands. Let's begin our journey together. On the 8th of April 1999, a movie was released that became an almost instant cult classic and created a real buzz amongst some people. At the very least, it was a hugely successful movie and made it star Keanu Reeves an almost household name. Hey, Keanu, if you're listening to this, call me. I'd love to have a chat with you. Oh well, dreams are free, eh? All joking aside, I am of course referring to the movie The Matrix. During this episode, I'm going to reference The Matrix a lot because it is appropriate to this particular subject and because I just love the movie. After the movie came out, a new term came into popular phraseology called a glitch in The Matrix. But what does this term mean precisely? Well, the Urban Dictionary gives some good explanations. One, referencing the Matrix movie and referring to a human experiencing déjà vu as caused by the machine that controls the Matrix, creating an alteration to the Matrix or program. 2. An explanation for an unlikely or irregular occurrence. 3. An account for a missing period of time or lapse in the space-time continuum. This is my sister's friend's personal experiences as related to her. Thanks, Lenny, for sharing that. A couple of instances where she's got emails from churches in China and other places saying, thank you for coming to speak to us. And she goes, but I've never been there. And they send her back photos of her standing in their pulpit preaching, and she's never been there. You know, And one time she spent three days with this group of people that, she has absolutely no recollection of ever meeting and has no passport stamp that shows that she was in their country at that time. And yeah. A hologram is something that you are all probably very familiar with from seeing them in frequent use these days, like the security device ones that are or used to be embedded into credit cards. They look three-dimensional, but in fact are only embedded in a very thin strip of film, or like the ones used to project long-dead recording artists to perform with live musicians these days. Or even bigger ones used at some theme parks and science museums, or projected onto the sides of buildings, some of which truly look like the object is really there. You can walk around it and see all of the object's details, but in reality, it's only a trick of the light. The hologram you see before your eyes is only an image. The object really isn't there, but its information is embedded in form and then projected onto space in a way that makes it look physically real. 
One property of a hologram is that when you shine a laser at it, the reflection of the laser beam will show a three-dimensional image of whatever picture is stored in the hologram. If you break the photographic plate that holds the hologram into many little pieces, each individual piece stores the information of the entire picture. All that is lost in this case is part of the resolution, so the smaller the piece, the fuzzier the three-dimensional image gets. But it always shows the entire image that the unbroken hologram showed in the beginning. This effect only applies to holograms which require a laser beam pointed at them to produce the image, not the printed variety. Another way to look at it is like a mirror. The mirror holds the whole image, the holographic projection, but if you were to shatter that mirror, each piece of the broken parts will still hold the whole image. How though are holograms produced? Well, I'm not here to go into great detail, and frankly, I don't entirely understand it. And it's way beyond the scope of this podcast, but simply, they are produced with a laser and two beams of light. One beam which is reflected off the object onto a film, the other beam simply acts as a reference. When a laser is projected through the film, the 3D image comes to life. So in order to really understand glitches in the matrix and to give this subject some sort of grounding, so to speak, we need to understand a little about the holographic universe theory and what it is. Now, I'm not a scientist, neither am I a physicist, and this is not the platform to go into these in any great detail. I am, however, passionately interested in this subject and indeed in the subject of quantum physics. I love it and I find it endlessly fascinating. A few minutes past I referenced the famous Matrix movie which was the first of three in the series which depicted a world in which artificially intelligent robots enslaved humanity within a holographic simulation set within today's world and they used the energy from the bodies that they had stored in a sort of stasis to power themselves. But this was by no means the first movie that had been made with the theme that this world was a simulated reality. Here are some others. In 1964, Simulacron 3 by Daniel F. Galloy tells the story of a virtual city developed as a computer simulation for market research purposes in which the simulated inhabitants possessed consciousness or but one of the inhabitants was unaware of the true nature of their world. The book was made into a German made-for-TV film called World on a Wire in 1973 by Rainer Fassbinder. 1983, a television movie overdrawn at the memory bank, in which the main character pays to have his mind connected to a simulation. 1999, the movie The 13th Floor was also loosely based on this book, We Can Remember It For You, Wholesale, which is a short story by American writer Philip K. Dick, first published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in April 1966, and it was also the basis for the Total Recall 1999 movie and the Total Recall 2012 film. Also, there were a few television shows that had episodes depicting holographic realities, the original Twilight Zone series, and more recently, the Star Trek franchise, all depicted, simulated, but indistinguishable from real-life realities. 
In one way or another, mostly on the holographic deck of the Enterprise, where crew members could live out their fantasies in their downtime. But, actually, this idea of reality being a mere illusion is nothing new. Eastern mysticism has long held the perspective that our physical reality is really the maya of illusion. First century Buddhist philosopher-poet Asvagosa put it that all phenomena in the world are nothing but the illusory manifestations of the mind and have no reality of their own. While 13th century Sufi mystic Rumi suggested that this place is a dream, only a sleeper considers it real. Even in more modern times, the great Albert Einstein said, Reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Hearing phone ringing through building. From Mad Panda Swag. So, this just happened. And I admit, there may be a plausible explanation that I'm just not thinking about, but I'm going to share anyway, in hopes that someone can tell me what that is, or at least appreciate the glitch with me. My dad, brother and I were at the bank. We parked in the side of the bank, the drive through a good 50 plus feet away to our left, and the doors 10 to 20 feet away to the right of our car. We had business in the drive through side, but we parked and went inside to finish our business. So we return from the bank and get inside the car, and my dad realises he's lost his phone. He goes back inside while I look in the car. Our windows and doors are closed, and I call his phone immediately, and my brother and I hear his phone ring, so we start looking in the car. After about 30 seconds, he picks up the phone, and we're both very confused and he says he's coming out. We're bewildered. How could we both hear his phone ringing when there's a wall between us and more than 50 feet? We thought it was Bluetooth. But when he answered, I could hear his voice from my phone speakers, and I didn't have Bluetooth on, and neither did he. You could say that we heard it from the drive through but that's also impossible, because our windows were up and the doors were closed, not to mention the drive through was more than 50 feet away from us. You could say that someone else's phone was ringing and we heard that, but there was no one near us, and our dad's ringtone is a very old Bollywood song, and again, our windows and doors were closed. So, how could we both hear his phone ringing through a wall? A good 50 feet, all doors and windows closed. A minuscule bit of the history on the holographic universe theory. I'll keep this really brief, I promise. Since the emergence of quantum mechanics in the 1920s, science has struggled to reconcile the difficult question of reality, no longer being able to be identified as something in any way permanent or fixed. And the first echoes of Eastern philosophy as mentioned previously began ringing uncomfortably within the walls of science. Niles Bohr, one of the fathers of quantum theory, is famously quoted as saying, Everything we call real is made of things that cannot be regarded as real. If quantum mechanics hasn't profoundly shocked you, you haven't understood it. The idea of the holographic universe began to gain popularity in the 1960s when physicists like David Bohm and psychologist-psychiatrist Carl Pebram suggested that 
apparently consistent wave-like properties of subatomic particles, something quantum mechanics could never explain easily, was produced by a subtle holographic ordering principle that exists at every point in the universe. Prebram, a professor of psychology and psychiatry, was quoted as saying, Our brain mathematically constructs objective reality by interpreting frequencies that are ultimately from another dimension, a deeper order of existence that is beyond both space and time. The brain is a hologram enfolded in a holographic universe. In the late 90s, a group of scientists and astrophysicists, particularly those working in the quantum physics field, were struggling to solve some rather perplexing issues facing them in their research, such as the Hardy's paradox, otherwise known as the double slit experiment. I have a video linked on the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com to a video which explains this in layman's language that even I can understand. Eventually, a group of them working independently of each other came to a rather startling and controversial conclusion from their research. They then put forward the simulation hypothesis, or simulation theory, that proposes that all known reality, including this universe, is in fact an artificial simulation, and most likely a computer simulation at that. These men state that this three-dimensional life that we perceive is merely an illusion, just a simulation, albeit one in which we feel and breathe grow and live in a tightly controlled environment, one controlled by some unseen reality or group of beings, like a Sims game. Rizwan Virk, a computer scientist and video game designer, had this to say about the simulation hypothesis. The simulation hypothesis is the modern equivalent of an idea that's been around for a while, and it is the idea that the physical world that we live in, including the Earth and the rest of the physical universe, is actually part of a computer simulation. You can think of it like a high-resolution or high-fidelity video game in which we are all characters, and the best way to understand it within Western culture is the movie The Matrix, which many people have seen, or even if they haven't seen it, has become a cultural phenomenon now beyond the film industry. In that movie, Keanu Reeves plays the character Neo, who meets a guy named Morpheus, who is aptly named after the Greek god of dreams and Morpheus gives him a choice of taking the red pill or the blue pill. And if he takes the red pill, he wakes up and realises that his entire life, including his job, the building he lived in and everything else, was part of this elaborate video game, and he wakes up in a world outside of the game. That is the basic version of the simulation hypothesis. Now, these men are very well-known and respected men in their fields of studies, men such as Leonard Susskind, a Stanford physicist who is one of the founding fathers of the theory. He said, It's not considered some wild speculation amongst most theoretical physicists. It's become a working, everyday tool to solve problems in physics. Also, the following gentlemen who are very well known, some only in their field, some for their work on TV. Gerard Hoffert, the theoretical physicist Nobel laureate. Hermann Verlinde, theoretical and string physicist. Raphael Busso, physicist. 
Paul M. Sutter, astrophysicist and science educator, among many others. On the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, and on this episode's page, I've placed a link to a series of interviews with some of these men about this reality being a holographic construct if you're interested in hearing more. Tech billionaire Elon Musk of Tesla and SpaceX has consistently stated his belief that it is mathematically impossible in a practical sense that we are not living in a computer simulation. I've included a link on the podcast website where he is talking about living in a simulated reality. He says, There is one in a billion chance that we might not be living in a simulation. He also said, quote, The strongest argument for us being in a simulation is the following. Forty years ago we had Pong, two rectangles and a dot. That is what games were. Now, forty years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll have virtual reality, augmented reality. If you assume any rate of improvement at all, the games will soon become indistinguishable from reality. Neil deGrasse Tyson, an American astrophysicist, author and science communicator, says, There is a 50-50% chance that we might be living in a simulation. And there are very many more I could have included, but this isn't a science podcast. This is about the Shadowlands and all things that are hidden therein. However, it was important for me to give you a background on this subject so that it would help you all better to understand experiences people have had with glitches in the Matrix and what is referred to when that term is used. So, that is a brief overview of the holographic universe and simulation theories, which are pretty much the same thing. As Morpheus says to Neo in a memorable scene from the Matrix movie, what is real? How do you define real? If you are talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. It is correct that what we perceive as reality is only electrical signals interpreted by our brains. There's an excellent video created in 2007 called Perception, the Reality Beyond Matter, which can be watched on YouTube and which I've linked on the episode page of the podcast website. The quality of the video is not the best being older, but the information on there is as pertinent today as it was when it was created. Also, a more recent TED Talk by neuroscientist and professor of cognitive and computational neuroscience at the University of Sussex, Anil Seth, Your Brain Hallucinates Your Conscious Reality. Both are excellent videos to watch if you're interested in how we perceive our reality, and they're both only around 17 to 20 minutes long. In The Matrix, there is a scene where Neo is introduced to everyone in the team. He sees the black cat walk past, and a couple of seconds later, he sees it walk past again and says something like, Oh, deja vu. Immediately, the team springs into action because it is a glitch in The Matrix, in the computer coding of the program that they are currently inside of, like a hiccup in the programming. 
Here in the real world, many people have experiences that can only be described as glitches in the matrix or the programming of what we currently perceive as our collective reality. I'll share some of these experiences, most of which are very recent, shortly. But I think it is first important to talk very briefly about déjà vu, what it is, and is it actually a glitch in the matrix, or our brains playing tricks on us, or is it a paranormal event? The How Stuff Works website gives this definition of déjà vu. The term déjà vu is French and means literally already seen. Those who experience the feeling describe it as an overwhelming sense of familiarity with something that shouldn't be familiar at all. Say, for example, you're travelling to England for the first time, you are touring a cathedral, and suddenly it seems as if you've been in that very spot before, or maybe you're having dinner with a group of friends discussing some current political topic, and you have the feeling that you've already experienced this very thing. Same friends, same dinner, same topic. So... Like Neo, seeing the black cat walk in front of him twice and the team immediately recognising it as a glitch, could episodes of déjà vu be explained away by the holographic reality hypothesis? Is this world merely electrical signals interpreted by our brain as the physicists, neuroscientists and psychiatrists previously mentioned have suggested? A mass collective hallucination created by mere electrical impulses that are fed into our brains? The fact that this could very well be a holographic reality could explain a large number of paranormal abilities that some people seem to have, like the first lady mentioned in this episode and her apparent bilocation to another country that she'd never ever visited before, but where photos were taken that show her lecturing from a pulpit in that country. It could explain remote viewing and spiritual gifts such as clairvoyance, where people can see into the future before events happen. Are they merely tapping into the computer mainframe and getting glimpses of programs yet to be run? Certainly, this would explain many currently unexplainable gifts that some seem to have. the so-called Mandela Effect. What is the Mandela Effect? 
In 2013, the former president of South Africa and anti-apartheid revolutionary Nelson Mandela died at age 95 of respiratory infection, yet I personally recall him dying whilst he was still in prison in the 1980s. I clearly remember hearing it on the news that he had died, and I remember feeling so gutted that he had to die in prison without tasting his freedom once again. But it appears I was incorrect. And he actually died in 2013, or so it seems. In 2010, a paranormal writer and researcher by the name of Fiona Broom also recalled having memories of Mandela dying during his imprisonment in the 1980s. Later that year, while she was attending Dragon Con, she was discussing this topic with the security manager of the conference. She found that many others shared the same memory of Mandela dying in prison. So they named this the Mandela Effect after Nelson Mandela. Shortly afterwards, Fiona created the Mandela Effect website. She says about her website, quote, I began this website in 2009 after a related conversation in the Dragon Con's green room. Our original conversations were in that grey area between speculation and sci-fi. It was fun. We were talking in what-if terms. Their new comments cast the Mandela effect in a slightly different light. The subject became more serious from there. The topic has taken on a life of its own. You'll find it discussed at Reddit, YouTube, on TV and radio shows, and across the internet. Encouraged by one of my book editors, I started this website, a few people commented. Others emailed me with the insights. Most of the conversations were lied and related to sci-fi concepts and unusual memories. Then in 2010 to 2014, people began reporting memories other than Nelson Mandela's death in the 20th century. Visitors shared anecdotes and informal theories. Generally, we didn't take ourselves too seriously. In 2015, this topic abruptly reached critical mass. The Berenstein Berenstain subject went viral, followed by other widespread alternate memories. End quote. Dictionary.com has this to say about the subject, quote, The Mandela effect is similar to the psychological concept of confabulation involving various forms of memory falsification. However, believers in the Mandela effect sometimes citing quantum mechanics think a shared false memory is evidence of parallel universes that have intersected or slid into each other, such that those who remember Mandela's death in the 1980s are simply remembering events that occurred on a timeline in another reality. The Mandela effect gained popular attention in 2016 when a story went viral concerning the children's book series. As discussed as early as 2012 on a blog post, many people had believed that the Bears family's surname was always spelt Berenstein with three E's, though it's actually Berenstein with an A in the last part of the name. Though most believe this misremembering has more to do with the unusual spelling and hazy memories. Some believers in the Mandela effect suggest the collective alternative memory pointed to parallel realities, a home to the Berenstain family and a Berenstain one. End quote. 
I personally remember it as being spelled with three E's in the name. Could so many people remembering the same event incorrectly be a result of a glitch in the matrix, resulting in the shared hallucinations of many differing from the general consensus, or generally shared hallucinations, or holographic placed memories of the masses? Could it? If you do a quick Google search, you will see many, many different sites discussing this, with theories ranging from this being the result of alternate realities, which really fits in with the holographic universe theories that I've been talking about, or from a psychological perspective as false memory syndromes shared by masses of people. So, that's a basic outline of the holographic universe theory, and how it may explain some of the following experiences that these people have had. As you listen to these experiences, if you can think of any way that these glitches can be explained, by all means, feel free to email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. I'd love to hear your take on them. I have permission from all the experiences to share these with you. Pretty much all of them were too shy to tell their experiences in their own words or wish to remain anonymous. Scene Double from Jin Exe on Reddit Okay. So, after spending countless hours divulging in the theory of glitches in the Matrix, I actually came across a story shared on this very thread that hit so close to home I had to call my mother. A few years back, my mum and I were talking about weird, unexplainable events that occur, and she told me this story. When I was born, my parents lived in this quiet little duplex. My dad was cleaning behind the heater, you know, one of those old clunky steam radiators, getting them prepared to be turned on for the fall. While he was cleaning, he found an old Victorian-looking locket with pictures of two little baby girls in it. They couldn't have been older than one or two, though he finished up cleaning and brought the locket to show my mum. She tells me the feeling of opening that locket is one she will never forget. The pictures inside were baby pictures of her and her twin sister. My mum was so shocked when telling my dad this and he refused to believe her so she packed me up and drove to my great-grandmother's house where they found the exact picture the faces of the girls came from. Here's where it gets weird. My mum's biological parents, Linda and Reginald, died when my mum and aunt were only 1.5 years old. They got into a single car collision with a brick wall and didn't make it. My great-grandmother, the mum of Reggie, adopted my mum and the Gerards, Linda's parents, adopted my aunt Carlene. They lived in a duplex together for the sole purpose of raising the twins together. But by the time my mum and aunt were 16, they had a falling out and stopped talking. It was not the same duplex the locket was found in, nor had any family member ever lived there prior. Now, here it gets weirder. My great-grandmother had been the one to take the picture of the girls. She had the only copy of the picture from when she developed the film. Back then, the envelope told you what kind of print you opted for, single or double, and she printed single, to which she had the sole image of in her hand, comparing it to the images in the locket, which were a match. Even creepier, my grandmother had a locket similar with her son and his wife in it from after they passed away. She kept both on her dresser in a jewellery box with her other jewellery. After she passed away in 2008, my mother gained possession of her jewellery box, but the only thing missing was the locket with her and her sister in it. To this day, 
Not a single person can explain where the locket came from, why it was there under the heater in the apartment, where the person who put the pictures in the locket could have possibly gotten the original picture from, and where it disappeared to. It forever remains a mystery. They left the library twice from a stitch on Reddit. A couple of days ago, I had walked through the rain to the public library in town. I had gone to investigate some book clubs my sister had mentioned. I spent about an hour using the library before I decided to leave. So, let me explain the entrance for a second. Library is pretty big, through only one main entrance, two sets of doors, one you enter by the south and the other by the east. Now, both doors lead to a small room, before you have to pass through another set of doors into the library. These are aligned with the south doors. On the south wall, beside the second doors, is a map of the library. I'll come back to this. So, I'm about to exit the library and entering the small room, I see the librarians had put out a food donations bin and a discard book cart. These weren't there when I had entered, but I'm familiar with the discard cart. I perused the books on it, finding a couple I took home. Now, I'm very aware of noise. I have auditory hearing issue where I can't filter noise. I hear it all. Birds, people, doors opening, you name it. I hear everything at once. I didn't turn my music on till after I left the library. Listening to music allows me to focus on the music and not the traffic or the leaves on the tree and such. Shortly after I entered this room and was looking through the discard pile of books, I noticed this woman and either her daughter or little sister with ginger hair leave through the doors chatting about at what house they'll leave their books at. I go back to browsing the books. No one leaves or enters the library till maybe two minutes later. I hear the same woman asking the girl what she wanted to do next since they had plenty of time. I look up from my selected books and watch them leave again. Same woman, same daughter or sister with ginger hair. Now, I'm confused out of my wits. To try to see if there's another entrance to the library, I check the map on the wall. There is only just the one entrance, a bunch of fire exits you aren't permitted to use unless of an emergency. I didn't hear or see them enter again after the first time. They left twice. Same people, different conversations. Already checked in by Trodat5204 A while back, I had to do some business travel and arrived at the hotel rather late, 2200 hours. So there wasn't anybody around except for the guy behind the check-in desk. We do the check-in and talk a bit until he gets visibly distracted and then tells me he needs to check something. He fiddles about with the computer for a while and when I ask him what's wrong, he tells me I was already checked in and the room was marked as occupied. We had a bit of an awkward laugh about it and he asked me if I had been there before because... They already have my data in their computer and maybe someone just clicked the wrong thing. But I had not been there before. After I tell him that, he's even more confused and even goes back to call someone. Always a good sign. Eventually he came back and said he would either give me another smaller room or we could look at my original room and see if someone's there. I said jokingly, I'd rather have a word with myself for causing such confusion. So we go up and check out the room together. He offered me to wait in the library, but nah, if I had a chance to meet myself from a different dimension, I want to take it. 
I was also really tired and wanted into my room. So we get out of the lift and the guy sneaks up to the door, knocks and then lets himself in with a super key card. The story ends very boring with an empty hotel room and probably just some software glitch, but I will say, when he opened that door, I honestly tensed up a bit. So that was a bit exciting and confusing. I still have no idea where the data they already had saved about me came from, home address and the like, stuff I explicitly had to tell them during check-in. Lost two hours. From Olivia. Disclaimer, this is not my story, it's my friend Olivia's story, and is mostly written by her with me doing a few tweaks here and there. This happened in February 2015. I was a truck driver for a small company in St. Louis, Missouri. I was working for the company four months when something strange happened on one of my normal routes. For a week straight, I was stuck going from St. Louis, Missouri to Indianapolis, Illinois. This is a four-hour trip in a semi that only goes 62 miles per hour on the highway. One of the worst parts of the drive is the time change when you go over the Illinois-Indiana state lines. This made trip planning a little difficult. For example, if you left at midnight in St. Louis, you would be in Indianapolis at 5am, not 4 because of the time change. I was driving a load of Budweiser beer for delivery at 8 in the morning, which is when the warehouse opens. Being the truck driver that I am, I left way early at 2am Missouri time. My plan was to get there by 6am Missouri time, 7am Indianapolis time. I always give myself an hour extra to go to a place in case of traffic, or I want to stop to eat, etc. Rush hour in Indy is never good and to be honest, once I got closer I was planning to stop at my favourite truck stop anyways. The traffic wasn't bad going out of St. Louis and I was able to get out of there fairly quickly and go on to I-70. Another thing I always do is have the sounds of a movie playing through my truck speakers to keep me awake. I don't watch the movie but just listen to it. This makes time seem to go faster rather than listening to my own thoughts. This time it was Star Trek 2009. The movie is two hours long and it should be well over before the time I arrive at the warehouse. I was driving my truck and I was about an hour into the trip when I noticed the sign for my favourite truck stop in one mile. This is odd. It usually takes me two hours to get to the truck stop. But I accepted it as me messing up with the time change. I pulled off, grabbed a bottle of water and jumped back on the interstate, still listening to Star Trek. An hour later, just as Star Trek was about to end, I entered the Indianapolis Beltway, which was 15 minutes away from my destination. I was two hours early at 5am Indy time, 4am Missouri time. I went to the location and sat there for three hours until they opened up. My driver manager was pissed that I arrived that early until he saw the records I made at Budweiser. He asked me if I'd made the records incorrectly or was mistaken and I told him that I didn't and that my logs were correct. The logs are automatically generated through a computer system that tells the, the DM the start time and location as well as the trip end time and location along with regular updates on where the truck is at all times. Later, when I was back in St. Louis, I was called into my DM's office and he showed me that whilst the two-hour time I was driving, the GPS on my truck and trailer failed at the same time and came back on at the same time two hours later. 
There was no information of the whereabouts of my truck for two hours except at the start and end time of my trip. I've talked this over with several of my friends but no one can figure out what happened. My manager and I both quit shortly after. Uploaded by Mad Panda Swag. In this episode, we've taken a wee trip down the rabbit hole and looked into some very interesting areas of the Shadowlands, from the Matrix movie to holographs to the holographic universe or simulation theory, and the physicists, psychologists and neuroscientists studying these areas. We've talked briefly about deja vu and the Mandela effect and the way the holographic universe theory could explain them, as well as it possibly explaining some other paranormal abilities, such as clairvoyance. I've shared some people's personal experiences with glitches in the matrix, experiences that they could not explain using conventional means. So what do you all think about the things discussed tonight? Is that smartphone you're holding really real? Is that seat you're sitting on really as solid as it appears, or is it merely that you perceive it to be so? I'm going to close tonight's episode with another quote from The Matrix from Morpheus. I'm trying to free your mind, Neo, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. The music today, that catchy beat, was called I Dunno by Grapes. Copyright 2008, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, see my podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. If any of you have any questions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share with myself and my audience, then please don't hesitate to email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com or if you're a member of Anchor at anchor.fm then you can leave me a voice message via their platform which I could include in an upcoming episode. If you enjoyed this episode then please leave a positive rating and a written review on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows, you may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on our next episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and soon to be available from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com For those hearing impaired, there is a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Also, please consider supporting this show on Patreon.com. You can check out the link on our website. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, and our Instagram feed of the same name. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours. We'll see you this time next week.
Thanks for listening.